I'd like you to turn with me to our second reading, Mark chapter 15. I'm just going to read one verse. Our subject is taken from this verse this morning. Verse 29. The scene is at Calvary, a place of several roads which met. And so we read here in verse 29. And they that pass by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Our title is Passing by Calvary. Are there any here this morning? And you have done through your life what it says in this verse. You have passed by. You've taken no notice. You have thought little of the cross of Christ. They that passed by. Calvary was outside the city of Jerusalem. It was a place that people would pass through doing their business on their way to somewhere else. Of course, the scene at Calvary was one that was relatively familiar. There was often crucifixions outside Jerusalem. But this was different. Everybody knew that this was Jesus of Nazareth, the mighty miracle worker, the teacher, the one who had power over the waves and over the storms, the one that taught, and the people said they were amazed, astonished, astounded at the way he spoke. All of Jerusalem knew what was happening. It was Passover. Jerusalem was filled with a vast crowd. Hundreds of thousands came to celebrate Passover. And so it says here, they that pass by. Some took no notice. And many do that today. Many would seem to think the Lord Jesus Christ never lived. He never died. He never rose again. And yet, you know, this fact is indisputable. There's not one leading Historian in the first four centuries after Christ that denies the life, the death, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, secular historians that even disagreed with Christ's teaching acknowledge that he lived, that he died, and that he rose again. There is no dispute. This is a historical fact. And we can rely upon that. There was a theory, a theory up until really 150 years ago, called the Swoon Theory. It was a repackaged version of what the Gnostics believed. They said Christ lived, but Christ didn't die. He merely faked or fainted death, the swoon theory. Of course, the Bible rejects this. There is so much evidence. Pilate had to be sure that Christ was dead. 
before the body could be given to Joseph of Arimathea. The soldiers had to be sure that he was dead, and so the spear was put into him. No, we can be sure from the Bible alone, but medical evidence tells us as well it would have been impossible. He had such lacerations to his back and to his body that breathing would have been almost impossible for longer than six hours that he suffered on the cross. So medical evidence rejects the swoon theory. And now secular scholars, you can look up on Wikipedia, look it up, the swoon theory. And the, the top sentence says, scholars reject this. But this creates a great problem for Muslims. Muslims say that Christ did not die on the cross. The Quran teaches that Christ did not die. They propose that an imposter, a substitute, died for him. But the Bible, medical evidence, secular scholars all tell us that Christ did die. We can be sure of that. And so we read again in verse 29, they that passed by Calvary. We think of the place, but most of all we think of what happened, the crucifixion, this life-changing event. No event in history has had such an effect upon the world. And no event in history can have such an effect upon your life and my life. But perhaps you have passed by. It's passed you by. Or consciously, you have passed by. That's our subject this morning. Disinterested, perhaps. They didn't see the significance of what was happening. The one who had promised that he would die and rise on the third day, the one who it was promised in hundreds of prophecies that he would die just as he did, and yet they were cynical. They railed on him. That means they spoke spitefully, reproachfully, bitterly, they railed on him, wagging their heads. You who prophesied that Jerusalem would fall and the temple would be destroyed and you would build it in three days. But they didn't understand. These things to them were merely physical. They thought of bricks and stones and they thought of a physical building and they thought that what was happening was just another crucifixion. But this was altogether different. This was so, so different. The significance of these six hours, three hours of light, three hours of darkness, is beyond our comprehension. But we can understand a lot of what was happening here. Well, I want you to turn to the book of Lamentations. We read this verse earlier. Lamentations chapter 1 
and verse 12. You may have thought it was an unusual reading for Good Friday, but perhaps you'll see the point now. Lamentations 1 and verse 12. And I would confess this verse is not a direct prophecy, although I think we can very legitimately borrow it for this purpose, as many have done, as Charles Wesley has done in the hymn that we shall sing as we close. Lamentations 1 and verse 12. Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Behold and see, if there be any sorrow like my sorrow, which is done unto me, wherewith the Lord afflicted me, in the day of his fierce anger. The prophet Jeremiah had probably three things in mind. He certainly had the fall of Jerusalem when Babylon came with its mighty army and he warned that it would fall and history tells us that it did just at the time and in the way that he prophesied and promised But I think there's a second meaning as well. As the Lord Jesus Christ stood over Jerusalem, Matthew 23, 27, he speaks and says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you, but you would not. He wept. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And he desired to gather them to himself, to guide them, to lead them, to show them the way to live, to show them their need of forgiveness. And he wept at the unbelief of those that pass by. Is there unbelief here this morning? You don't really believe that Christ died. You don't really believe that this six hours changed the world. And it hasn't yet changed your world. But of course, there's a third, at least, inference from this verse. It speaks so graphically. The words, to me, at least, seem to be so clear of the sorrow of Christ. Is there anyone that experienced sorrow like he did? Not physically only, but spiritually, mentally, emotionally, notice it says there, which is done unto me. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ, this was done to him. It was done by the Father when he poured out the wrath of God and punished his own dear Son. And when the Lord Jesus was imputed, he took what he did not deserve and took it all as our substitute. There it was done unto me, wherewith the Lord afflicted me. Aren't the words graphic? In the day of his fierce anger? Surely this like much of Scripture, has multiple levels of understanding and meaning 
for us. Well, our subject in the very brief time we have is really different reactions to Calvary. Isn't it extraordinary how people look at the same situation and they respond in different ways? Take two men. They've both been convicted of the same awful crime. They're sentenced to a life sentence in prison. The one man is remorseful. He knows he's committed murder. He knows he has no excuse. He serves his sentence as a model prisoner and lives an exemplary life from that day on. But the other man who's done the same crime, they were involved together, becomes bitter, hard. He spends time in jail perfecting his criminal skills and when he's released, he embarks on a further life of terror. Two people, same situation. Do you know that's what happens at Calvary? The thousands that were there, and yet, I dare say, the majority rejected Christ and did, as it says in verse 29, they passed by, they mocked, they reviled. Let's look at some of the groups very briefly. There are four groups at least who say something very similar. They say that Christ needs to come down from the cross to prove that everything he said is true, to prove that he really is the miracle worker. And if he stays on the cross, then he's just a man. And he's failed. They don't understand. He can't come down. He has to stay there. It's a choice. It's voluntary. And it's the strength and the love of Christ that keeps him on that cross in the midst of such mocking and reviling and the questions that were posed to him. Well, of course, there's the crowd. That's the first group. The fickle crowd, the irrational crowd, that even in the knowledge that he was innocent and pure, Pilate said it, Pilate's wife said it, so many others, they were willing to see injustice, Barabbas instead of him. One minute they shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, and then crucify him. Irrational, fickle, and unjust. And of course, there's the second group. If you'd like to turn to Luke 35, we see this even more clearly, these groups. Luke chapter 15 and verse 35. There are the religious leaders, these scribes and Pharisees and the chief priests here in verse 35. Luke 15, the people stood beholding. It calls them here the rulers, also with them, with the crowd, derided him. This is what they say. Each of these expressions are different and there's a different meaning in them. 
the chief priests would never speak to Christ directly. They always spoke about him at a tangent. This is what they say. The rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. They're so deceitful, dishonest, cowardly, hypocritical. They cannot even speak to Christ on the cross, scheming. It was out of envy. Mark tells us that they delivered him. That's the second group. Look down two verses later, verse 37 of Luke 20, of Luke 23. Apologies, I think I may have said 24. Luke 23 and verse 37. This is what the soldiers say. The soldiers mocked him, they brought vinegar. If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. Do you see the second taunt along the same lines? These cruel, vicious soldiers that had scourged him, now they mock him. And they challenge him again, you've got to come down, save yourself. They'd showed utter contempt and irreverence, spitting on him, mocking him with a crown of thorns and a purple robe. And now they call him to do what he cannot do, to save himself. That's the third group. Look two verses later, Luke 23, verse 39. We see the thieves, another group, who are bystanders and onlookers and listeners. And one of the malefactors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. Their taunt their mock was a selfish one. Save yourself and while you're at it, save us. They wouldn't, or at least both of them wouldn't initially acknowledge who he was and his divinity. Of course, one of them would come to see and to realize his words and his testimony delivered a witness to his soul that he is the Son of God. But then, of course, if you turn back to Mark 15, we see the passers-by, and they say something similar. Mark 15, verse 30, Save thyself, say the passers-by, and come down from the cross. They wagged their heads, reviling, abusing, disrespecting the Son of God. Do you see how all the forces of evil and of humanity does not want Christ to die? All these groups say much the same thing. Save yourself. Show us another miracle. Come down from the cross. Don't Remain. 
Sorry to jump around, but let's go back to Lamentations chapter 2. And I think we see an even more specific and remarkable prophecy. We read this earlier. If you have a Bible, turn to it. Lamentations and chapter 2. All that pass by, verse 15, all that pass by, clap their hands at thee. They hiss and they wag their head at the daughter of Jerusalem. Isn't this astonishing? Jeremiah speaking 700 years before Christ went to the cross, prophesying what the crowd would say as they pass by, mocking, scoffing, and scorning the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not the only group at Calvary. Of course, we'll look at this on Sunday morning, God willing. There were two who up until that point, they had had some faith, but they had been secret disciples. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, we know him. They were secret disciples. They had a form of faith, but they'd kept it for themselves. They didn't have enough courage to put their colors on the mast, to come forward, to say, I'm for Christ. I stand with him. I stand for him. My life will be counted on his side. Joseph of Arimathea. He will go and ask for the body. And Nicodemus will go with him. And from now on, they will come forward. Do you know, I believe there's many in that category this morning. You've not passed by. You've looked at the cross and you've come to the cross and you've humbled yourself in your heart. And you know what was happening. You know the significance of these things. And yet you think you can sit on the fence. You can be in silence. You can remain at home. You can be in private. But you can't, friends. You're either for Christ or you're against him. You cannot be both. And if you would be for Christ, if these things move you, if they grip your soul, if you see your sin has been laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ and the punishment that you deserved, then you must be public. You must come forward. You must stand. You must stand alongside Christ and not pass by again this morning. Do you see... What Jeremiah said, see if there ever was sorrow like this, indescribable sorrow and suffering. Does that mean anything to you? Do you see your sin? Do you feel something of his pain? If you pass by, Calvary means nothing to you. The cross is just history. It's just an event. 
But if this thing moves your soul, if this fact of history is to you your salvation, is to you your hope, is your security, then don't pass by again. Go and stand with Christ. Every prophecy is fulfilled. All the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ. This great transaction, your sin, your punishment, laid on Christ. All the enemies of Christ defeated all those that would mock and scorn and tell him, come down, save yourself, defeated. Sin, death, Satan, sorrow, gone eternally. But don't you see here the love of Christ? The love of Christ that he should go through and not listen to all the words of men and women, to the words of the religious leaders, the soldiers, the thieves, the passers-by. No, he must stay. He must stay on the cross. He must bear all the punishment for all of his people, for all of time, and for all of eternity. Will you linger at Calvary? Will you live at Calvary? Will you make your life in the light of Calvary? Do you feel the exceeding sorrow that he endured? Do you see Christ there praying for the lost, desiring that men and women would be forgiven, witnessing to the thief, caring for his own mother? Do these things not move you? Are you hard? Are you so callous in your heart that you can go home this morning untouched, unmoved? Christ, the cross, Calvary, you pass them by. Is it nothing to you that Jesus should die? Come see if there ever was sorrow.